baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. She joins us, editor and reporter at The Guardian, who's been doing some more investigative work into the Archdiocese and of New Orleans, Gregory Amon, and some of the things that have been going on with um, cover-ups and, and uh, seemingly, to me at least, in his opinion, not what Ramon reported, this is my opinion, seemingly back in the wrong, the, the wrong side in this. With that, we welcome in Ramon Antonio Vargas. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me on. How are you? I'm okay, sir. This, this is a, a, a kind of complicated deal, so I'm going to start with the victim and work back back from there, Ramon, if we can. Tell me about the sure. victim in this case, in this story. Yeah, sure. The um, the victim is was a late man uh, by the name of Kevin Poche. He passed away in his 40s, uh, I think it's 41, in, um, in or the spring of 2019, and he as a uh, as a child had been um had been raped by a uh, a priest for whom he served as an altar boy named Robert Melanson uh in in Homa, Louisiana. When did the uh sexual assault begin and how long did it take for it to come to light? He was about 8 uh when it began and I believe it lasted for um you know for several years uh into I think he might have been about um, if uh, about 14 when it ended. Uh, so it lasted for several years in the uh, in the ninth, about 12, I think. He, uh, from the ninth, the mid 1980s to the late 1980s, and this would have been something that he reported to the authorities uh, and like both to the church and to law enforcement authorities in the mid 1990s. He received, and so keep in mind this is several years before the. Uh, the 2002 scandal in the Boston Catholic Archdiocese, which is colloquially referred to as Spotlight, right, because of the movie, um, and, and the, then the, uh, the the what do you call it the uh, the publication that broke the story of the Spotlight, right? The, well, there was the, the the investigative team for the Boston Globe was yes. known as, as Spotlight, okay. and um, that sort of I think cemented the idea for the public conscience, at least in me. I was in high school at the time, uh, and uh, that. You know that Catholic priests and um, were capable of, of uh, you know, raping children, and um, and then also that their administrators were capable of of covering it up rather than reporting it. Um, so and this was so, a long time before then. This was in the the mid to late '80s that this happened, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so the the acts happened and the the abuse happened in the in the mid to late '80s, and then all of the fallout from that is going to happen um, in the in the victim's early adulthood in the mid-1990s. So, um, yeah. go ahead. Well, the real thing I was going to ask, there is a difference in terms of Archdiocese of New Orleans or what then existed as the Archdiocese of Homa, or then you got bishops and archbishops. Yeah. <laughs> Talk me through all of that, it, if you will. It gets, to, it gets, it gets very complicated, um, but simply— the uh, Robert Melanson's career, uh, and so this is the this is the the priest who was ultimately convicted of raping 
um, Kevin Poche, the victim. His career began at a time when Homa, like the churches in Homa, belonged to the New Orleans Archdiocese. At some point, Homa Thibodeau, that region, kind of breaks off into its own diocese, and ultimately, that's who he was reporting to. I think both during the time of the abuse and also during the um, and and obviously during his prosecution. Um, also keep in mind the victim, the victim very rarely, um, and, and at the time this was sort of like used against him, but I think in retrospect you can look back on it and, and take it as a sign of how credible his case was. He paid him $800,000 to settle out of court, right, his claims at least against the church. Um, that is a huge sum today um, as far as these cases go. At the time, it would have been a huge sum, um, you know, even more so in the 90s. That was um, a civil <clears throat> portion of this, but there's a criminal portion as well. And tell me about that when the victim, um, Kevin Portier, a Porsche, how do you say it? Uh, Poche. Poche. When he came yeah. forward, there was not a, a doubt from law enforcement about his credibility, and, and a conviction was obtained very easily, uh, fairly easily, was it not? It was, I mean, you know, he, he was, Obviously, this is at a time. I mean, even today, right? We'd, it's it's a relatively rare outcome for a, a Catholic priest in in the state to be to be prosecuted. Um, but Robert Malonzo was brought to trial. He was convicted. I think the deliberations lasted less than two hours. Again, combined, I think with the settlement, those are just kind of two two hints of how of how credible um, you know Kevin Poche was with the uh, with the accusations that he brought against uh, Robert Malonzo and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was a a extremely. Um, I mean, even today, all these years later, right? It's still a relatively rare outcome for something like that to happen, and that was one that he obtained um, again long before uh, the spotlight scandal really sort of um, crystallized that for for most of America. Homa is Lafouche Parish or Terrebonne? <clears throat> it was a Terrebonne. Terrebonne Parish. Parish. So the the reason I bring that up, Ramon, is that to their credit. At no point did the Terrebonne Parish law enforcement agency attempt to protect the church at all. They went after Malasson to convict him for raping this child. Correct? Correct. I mean, they 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 stood. They 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 supported the victim, right? They supported Kevin Poche. They they found they they worked with another witness who had a a story that boosted um, his credibility. The the district attorney at the time, right? And this is a you know this isn't a piece that is linked to an an R piece in the Guardian. Uh, from the times of Homo Thibodeau that describes the prosecutor at the time um, whose father, I think, was a non-practicing member of the Jewish faith and how he faced accusations that the only reason that he was going after Robert Melanchthon was because of his father's faith, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Things like that. I think that was sort of the the atmosphere that was greeted by – that was greeting them them at the time. And I only bring that up just to kind of show that um, those are sort of some of the attitudes that that were confronting the establishment at the time. Um, but yes, no, they, they did not, um, they did not show, I think any hesitance and, 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 and want the full, the full distance as far as, uh, as not only winning a conviction against Robert Malanson, but then, um, the, the man, you know, the mandatory life imprisonment that accompanies a, uh, a, conviction. a conviction of that crime. And then also keep in mind that crime is, Short of murder, um, I mean that's that's the only other mandatory life 
life sentence crime that there is in Louisiana. Right? Let me take, is, let me uh, take a break right. here. We'll pick it up when we come back. So it's 1995. Malasan is arrested, ultimately convicted, sent to prison for life for raping um, a, a young man, Kevin Portier, when he, when he was a child. Po- both Kevin Portier, a, a Porsche. Uh, t- tell me again. I'm sorry. Porsche. Porsche and um, the priest, Robert Malasan, both are dead now. Um, this was a long time before 2002 when the spotlight scandal uh, broke, when the spotlight story broke, and people began to realize that the church had a big problem with pedophiles and the way they were handling it. So we'll take a break here. We'll pick it up when we come back. Malasan has been uh, sentenced to life in prison uh, in Homa. So far, everybody uh, acting credibly, I guess, and, and legally and making sure that the bad guy went to jail and that the victim was compensated and justice was done. We'll pick it up here when we come back with Ramon Antonio Vargas, editor and reporter at The Guardian, 721 Traffic Now, WWL. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Seven twenty-seven. Tommy Tucker, WWL. Three minutes left for this segment. Then we'll pick it up after the news with our guest Ramon Antonio Vargas, editor and reporter at the Guardian. That's done tremendous work when it comes to uh, what's going on with some of the things with Archbishop Gregory Amon and the Archdiocese of New Orleans and being on the ro- wrong side, in my opinion, at least of sexual abuse victims. You got uh, Robert Porsche, who is deceased. He's 41 when he died. He, As an altar boy, he was repeatedly raped by Robert Malasson, who was sent to prison for the rest of his life. It was wrong that he was raped, obviously, and seemed as though the, the system had worked um, up until this point. Not that it didn't prevent the rape, but at least the, the perpetrator was punished. What happens from here, Ramon? Well, so... <clears throat> Obviously, you know, you reach the it's uh, at some point in the uh, around 2016, 2017, the State Department of Corrections, you know, passes, uh, you know, implements a policy, which I guess gives some certain um, offender, certain uh, incarcerated people, um, you know, the the chance at at an early release, you know, related to to medical release. And um so basically, he's sentenced to life for rape, but the law passes and says if you have health considerations and maybe you can go to a different facility or get out early. Yes, get, go to a different go to a different like assisted living facility that maybe is is you know a more ideal setting than than a prison is. Um, I think what what ends up what ends up becoming scandal is that you know one of Robert Malanson's classmates. At some point, is a priest in in Metairie by the name of Andrew Taramina, and um, Andrew Taramina then drafts a uh, a deacon who we now know to be who uh, who is now dead as well, but we now know to be a, a convicted child abuser by the name of the um, Wheeler the Third, who was an attorney, um, and together they begin sending letters uh, pushing described. Uh, pushing for Melanson to qualify for one of these early releases, right? And then there's a key phrase in one of the letters 
in which they express that they say it could be, and this is this is the letter in which they're trying to get the archbishop to to kind of buy into their plan that it could be a a temporary and then parentheses if not permanent furlough medical related furlough right and so they begin kind of like scheming it's really Taramina and Wheeler who kind of begin scheming a way to get you know Robert Malonkin off of that life sentence that he had been given. All right, let's stop there, and we'll pick it up when we come back. So Taramina is a priest, a classmate of the convicted rapist priest, Robert Malasson. Uh He engages an attorney, V.M. Wheeler, who subsequently goes on to be convicted of child abuse uh, and sexual assault to help to try to get this convicted rapist out of jail early on compassionate grounds, and it is at this point that they attempt to get Archbishop Amon involved, and we'll talk about his level of involvement when we come back. 7.30, time for WWL First News. For that, we go to Yanozan. 7.44, till 8. Quickly back to Ramon Antonio Vargas, editor and reporter at, reporter at The Guardian, about the latest thing he's uncovered as it relates to the, the pedophile scandal with the Archdiocese of New Orleans, Gregory Amon, Catholic Church, Kevin Poche. Um, began was uh, Robert Malasson, a priest, began raping him almost immediately after he became an altar boy in Homa. Uh, he was 18, was Poche, and Malasson nearly 60 when police made an arrest. The case went to trial relatively quickly. He was convicted, sent to uh, prison for the rest of his life. That's where we pick up the story uh, two decades later when V.M. Wheeler III, who himself had some problems because he pled guilty to indecent behavior with a juvenile after being accused of molesting a 12-year-old boy two decades earlier and who was named a, a deacon in the church, the Archdiocese of New Orleans, by, I believe it's Gregory And Pick up the story there, if you will. Where, does all, where do all of these things come together, Ramon? So, yeah, so V.M. Wheeler, I guess, participates in, in an effort to, uh, and he's kind of brought into it by, a, you know, the, a priest at, uh, at a church in Metairie, uh, Andrew Termina, who uh, began to kind of mount a campaign to win an early release for Robert Melanson on basically, you know, medically compassionate grounds. And um, obviously this is something that, uh that Eamon was, I mean, the, the records that we were able to review uh, and and obtain, you know, make it clear that the Archbishop um, was apprised of of those plans um, in a letter to— Archbishop Eamon. Yes, the Archbishop was apprised of, of the plan to release, um, uh, to try to, to win a, an early release for Robert Melanchthon, and in a— in a letter that Taramina sent to, you know, the, the governor, who's a pious Catholic, you know, John Bell Edwards. Um, and uh, and also there was a letter that was sent to the Secretary of Corrections for the state of Louisiana. And um, in in the letter uh, to to the governor, there's a this line, we have met with Archbishop Gregory Amon, and he is open to Father Melanson ultimately being housed at Winhoven, which is— Weinhoven, yeah. which is a— uh, My dad was there. It's the only reason I know it. But go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, for, for those who don't know, is, is a you know nursing facility or uh, assisted living facility on uh, on the West Bank in, uh, in Marrero. So Eamon's and, office received this letter, right? Yes. I, so this is a—they so they receive a letter. Uh, they receive a letter. He The archbishop receives a separate letter from, from Taramina where he basically is like, look, we think that if you— um, if you approve 
a plan to house Melanson in, in Warnhoven. It's um, Bobby will, uh, you know, they, they, they heard from the warden that Bobby, they call him Bobby, has expressed his opinion that Bobby will qualify for this temporary and perhaps permanent release to a nursing facility. We're told that things could go very quickly for Bobby if he qualifies for furlough release. And the archbishop is basically told, hey, if um, if you sign off on this plan for him to live at Warnhoven, we think we have a good shot. And then in a separate letter to the governor, there's this meeting that's described that the archbishop participated in where they kind of sort of go over that plan uh, to to release, to, to get an early release. This was not um, the, uh, the arch, this was not Eamon's archdiocese, right? At this point? No, I, that's that's also the, the thing is that this is not, um, Robert Melanson does not report to him. Robert Melanson at the time is reporting to the uh, Diocese of Homo Thibodeau. The records show that he's displeased with, you know, he, he feels that, um, you know, he receives a warning from the Bishop of, of Homo Thibodeau, Shelton Fav, now the Archbishop of Kentucky, of Louisville, Kentucky, um, basically telling him, hey, reminding him, look, you, you can't, you can't perform, you can't celebrate mass in in prison like you're a priest, right? Like you, because of your your conviction, right? That was one of the conditions that one of your disciplinary results of of having been convicted of raping a former altar boy is that you can't you can't celebrate mass in public as if you're a priest. Seems and so he gets upset and he writes to so he kind of like goes over his head and writes to Melanson writes to. Amen. Archbishop Amen. And this is where I think that um, this is the kind of the most clear, this is the most clear like, kind of endorsement of the whole plan, which was uh, Melanson writes a letter to the Archbishop who says, he's saying, look, I, I feel, he says, I feel like I've been tossed aside like a used candy wrapper because of, of what the, his bishop had told him. And then the Archbishop responds, dear Bobby, I join you in the prayer to Our Lady to guide those regarding your appeal to make a positive decision. We leave such things in the hands of the Lord and pray for his compassion and for justice. I'm sorry that you feel tossed aside by some in the church. Be assured of my deep respect for you, appreciation for your many years of ministry, and for your life of faith that you continue to live now. I asked the archdiocese whether, you know, they had, whether there was anything that they wanted to add to that letter, which keep in mind was written to a man who was convicted of raping an altar boy. Um, and the archdiocese, I guess, replied that that was a uh, a corporal act of mercy uh, that was part of the archbishop's, um, you know, ministry. They refer to him as a dying prisoner, Melanson. Um, there is nothing in the record at the time to suggest that he was terminally ill. No, uh, I'm fact. glad you said that because the letter itself cites hypertension and enlarged prostate um, and some other maladies that are anything but. Um, life-threatening, right? Yeah, and, and I mean... Type 2 diabetes, and enlarged prostate, coronary artery disease. And, I mean, I guess also keep in mind that it makes it clear that what they're seeking for is at least a temporary release, right? I think if you're a dying prisoner, it doesn't quite make sense to seek for a temporary release. And obviously they're hoping that it turns into a permanent one, but it is, you know, the it's never like, hey, like, it was never, hey, like, this guy is dying, and he should live out his, before, his days in, in a better... Before yeah. we run out of time, Ramon, we need to get to the part where the victim himself is hassled to the point of threatening to call the police for harassment if it continues. Tell me that part. Sure. So this all sort of falls apart when the Diocese of Homa learns about what's going on. And the reason that they learn what's going on is that 
some people who kind of put themselves out there as representatives of the New Orleans Archdiocese approached the victim, Kevin Poche, asking for him to support or at least not resist efforts to get Robert Melanson out of prison. He describes in, in an email to his local diocese, because he thought it was his local diocese, was doing it only to learn that it was the New Orleans Archdiocese. I don't even know if he learned that it was the New Orleans Archdiocese ultimately, but um, he is approached at his work, he is approached at his home, and he is approached at his at, at an uncle's funeral. He describes basically people telling him, like, hey, like, you know, it would really be helpful to us if you supported Robert, you know, your rapist's early release. And um, The guy who raped you as a priest when you were an altar boy and you were how old at this time? The ki- I mean, it began when he was eight. Right? Eight years old. So now you're supposed to have compassion for this, this piece of garbage that raped you uh, and is now in prison for the rest of his life, and you're supposed to do it under the grounds of being a good Catholic. Is that right? I don't even know. I mean, I, it doesn't even describe that. I think they were just—I think it was just like, hey, like, it would be helpful to us if you if you didn't get in the way, right? I don't know what kind of appeals they appealed to him, what kind of grounds they appealed to him on, but he obviously became very stressed over it. Um, his father described how stressful of a situation that was, You'll note that, you know, he he passed away at a relatively young age, right, um, 40, 41 uh, in March of 2019, only a few months after Robert Melanson himself passed away in prison because the plan to get him an early release failed because when Coven Poche reaches out to his local diocese and says, informs them what's going on, that triggers a flurry of communications between the Diocese of Homa to the Archdiocese of New Orleans, in which they basically make it clear we do not support this and we do not want to be seen as supporting this. Um, and that's kind of as far as that campaign went. But obviously, it's it's a notable campaign when um, you know when it when it involves letters to the governor, when it involves letters to the State Department of Corrections, and obviously when it's all done with the knowledge of the Archbishop of uh, of an area with a half million Catholics. Which Ramon, is, uh, we're we're about out of time. None of this would have come to light had the information not been leaked, which was under seal seal because of the bankruptcy case, correct? Yes, it was. These are all records. This is among the information that the the bankruptcy, I think, it it is becoming increasingly clear to me that uh, was part of the strategy for filing bankruptcy was to sort of suppress this for, for all of time, especially if the secrecy order is never lifted. And I guess you're still looking into things? Yes, I am taking them, processing all this as quickly as I can. And, and uh, sure, I, I, if you stick with us at theguardian.com, I, I do anticipate having more in the future. Appreciate your time and your work. Thank you, 754 Traffic, WWL. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.